I had to take my time getting up here. I can listen to my dear brother Herman any day, any time. Sometimes he sings for us on Wednesday night prayer meeting. And I want to encourage you to join us on Wednesday nights. But again, I asked him to sing the special song because, again, it is amazing grace. We all have been once lost, now we're found. I don't know about you, but I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. As you know, outside is pretty dark. It's rainy and it's kind of gloomy, but here it's bright. The reason why it's bright is not because of this light that is above the show, above the ceilings and around you. It's bright because we have bunch, a lot of saints that is lighting up this place. Amen. But I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters. Your light still continues to shine outside of the house of God. Amen? Are you the light in your neighborhood? Are you the light in your workplace? Are you the light in your family? Don't just be the light in the house of God. Amen? That's the problem with Christianity. And that's the problem with the followers of Christ. But we're not followers of Christ. We're disciples of Christ. Amen? So wherever we go, we shine the light. Because this world, as you and I know, needs the light desperately. You hear the stories in the news, in the newspapers, and you search the internet. It's all dark and gloomy. And we as followers of Christ, we as disciples of Christ, got to be that light. Again, let me ask you, are you that light to your coworker? Are you that light to your neighbor? Are you that light when you're in the bus or in, your, uh, in the grocery line? Are you that light? Or are you just a hiding light? God did not call us to hide. He said, put it up on the hill so that it will shine and reflect his glory and his honor. That's who we are. Brothers and sisters, we are the prodigal sons and daughters. And God has called us out and God has graciously received us. Now it is our responsibility at his light to share that hope and to share that love with the people who desperately needs it. That to share the hope that desperately need the people that are looking for, to be the answer that we give, that Jesus Christ is the answer, and that when people are searching for answers in this world, we are, we have the answer. Now, let's look into the Word of God. Where is, this is the answer. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can call you our Father, Abba, Father. As Pastor Mark made a reference to earlier, that as Paul reminds us that we have been adopted as sons and daughters, as therefore we can call our Father, Abba, Father. And that's what Jesus Christ taught us, that we can call our Father the dearest Father, Daddy. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees, they had a hey that they said, how dare you call God Father? But Jesus says, because of the work that I'm going to do, because of the work that I'm going to do on the cross, that I have reconciled a broken relationship between God and his creation. No longer are you his, only his creation only, but you are the sons and daughters. But now you can call God Abba, Father. 
So thank you, God, for reminding us this morning, reminding us through this month that we, you are teaching us about your love for us. And you don't care about the consequences. You don't care if the people say it is careless. You don't care anything about that. The only thing that matters to you is that we have an intimate, loving relationship with you. So, God, I pray that you remind us through this story how you love us and how you never, never leave us nor forsake us. Your love is great. Your love is amazing. Thank you, Father. In the holy name of Christ, we pray. Amen. When I teach about God's love, I try to give a personal illustration that best describes God's love for us. For example, intimate relationship between a father and his child. An intimate relationship between a brother and brother. An intimate relationship between sister and sister. Intimate relationship between friends. I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have intimate, close relationship with a close friend that you grew up with. Or brother or sister. Or mother or father. Or child. Intimate relationship between father and his child, or brother, or brother. People can resonate with that. You can resonate with that. This is precisely the reason why Jesus taught us this amazing story of the prodigal son. He wanted to illustrate the fact that our father loves us so much Regardless of rebellion, regardless of sinful living, regardless of who we are, in this story, he illustrates the value of how much God the Father loves us. Many of you, if not all of you, heard this story many times because it is a very popular story. But I ask again that you would not say, okay, I dismissed that because I heard that many times, preacher. But you and I know that the Word of God speaks to us every time. And it gives us new revolution, new teaching, every time that we look into the Word. And that's how it's designed. The title can be misleading because it's not really about the Son. Did you know that? It's not really about the Son, but the story, the true hero, who is it? It's about a loving father with unconditional love for his son. That is the true story. That is a true hero. That is what the prodigal son story is all about. So that's why I said the title itself is misleading because it's all about the father. And let me remind you, it is all about the father. It's not about you or me, but it's all about the father, his unconditional love. This story also helps us to take a closer look at our own spiritual temperature. How are we doing in our spiritual life? And how we relate to the Father's amazing love. Yes, you know God's amazing love for you, but how do you relate to that? That is a question. Jesus begins the story with the younger son who wanted to be what? To break away from the family. Now, that's natural. As children get older, they want to break away from the parents. 
They want to be independent. They want to make their own choices. They want to go on with their own life. They no longer want to be under the refuge or roof of the mom and dad because they want to do their own thing. That's natural. But that's where we're going to look at this boy, this particular young boy, that Jesus begins by telling a story about this particular younger son that he was tired of living under the roof of his father. He was tired working for him. He was tired of being told what to do. In other words, he was tired to being loved. He wanted to be on his own. The younger boy wanted to be on his own and live independently. He wanted to move away from the family business. Now, in the Jewish tradition back time 2,000 years ago, more than 2,000 years ago, this was uncalled for, unheard of. Because the child usually carries on the family tradition. Jesus was a carpenter's son. Peter was a son of a fisherman. And you see, the, uh, the, the, the man that carries on the trait, they follow the family tradition. If you're born into a fisherman family, then you become a fisherman. And if you become a, a, a teacher of the law, you're born into that, uh, into that occupation or vocation. It goes on to generation to generation. But this boy, again, he did not want to carry on the family tradition. He says, I'm tired. I don't want to work and be involved in the family business anymore. I just want to be gone. I just want to leave. But the son failed to realize how good he had it. He minimized the present joy and love that he was receiving from his father. He was blinded by his own greed. He was blinded by his own self-centeredness. He was blinded by his selfishness. And let me ask you this. What about us? That we know that God loves us. We know that it's amazing. But sometimes we minimize the joy and the love that we receive the Father because we are blinded by our own selfish greed sometimes. Amen? So this morning, as we look into Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24, we will discover the Father's amazing love for His children. And perhaps some of you need to be reminded of the Father's amazing love for you today because you've been kind of drifting away. Perhaps some of you need to repent this morning. And again, that word may be harsh, but it just simply means to do U-turn because you realize you're going the wrong way. Perhaps some of you this morning are headed in the wrong direction, headed in the wrong way, and God is calling you to come back, son. Come back, daughter. You know, Sunday morning, as this morning actually that we were driving in to get into from Hollywood to get into the into, into Lakeshore Drive Expressway. Four, there's four lanes open, if you guys all know what I'm talking about. But this one particular driver didn't take that four lane, but he took the other lane, and he was going to the upcoming traffic. He's like, wow, that, that, person is going, that person's going on the wrong road. 
Immediately that person realized I could see that he's back, he or she's backing up. That's dangerous. Head-on collision. Not only is it dangerous for the person that is driving in that right lane, or the, and at the same time the person who's going the wrong way. It's head-on collision. His life is, is in danger. So the point that I'm making is this, and the point that Jesus is making here too is that, again, Jesus says repent. He means that you're headed in the wrong direction and your life, your spiritual life, is in danger. So therefore, that's why he says repent, turn back, and go to the correct lane, and that is to the Father. Because if you're in the wrong lane, not only you are destroying your own life, but you are destroying the people's lives around you. And that's why I mean that you are being selfish and self-centered. And again, this boy, younger boy, was headed in the wrong lane, wrong direction. He's not only affecting his life, but he's affecting the people that is around him, you see. So I want you to think twice, including myself. If we're in the wrong lane, you're not only affecting you, but the people around you. And that's what you need to think about. And that's why Jesus says, repent. And so here, as we look at the story of Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24, here, so turn with me as you follow along behind me, but if you have your Bibles, open it up, because it makes sense as you follow along. So Jesus begins in verses 11 and 12. This is what Luke says. Jesus continued. What does it mean by Jesus continue? We've been studying about the recklessness of God, and last Sunday we kicked it off by talking about what? The relentless pursuit. We talked about a, a shepherd who's in charge of 100 sheep. He left the 99 because one drifted away. And then we talked about the woman who had 10 coins and lost one, and she had nine, but she was desperately looking at that one coin that she lost. And the point that Jesus was making to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law was, listen, you religious leaders, you let go. You, you deny these people, and you reject the people that are kind of law, your laws. And you're criticizing me because I'm spending time with the tax collectors and sinners. You're criticizing me for that. But let me teach you something here. And he's teaching our church. You don't leave the one. Because you have the 99. You don't leave the one because you have nine coins. What Jesus taught us through this story was that the, the importance and value and the compassion of God through this. And Jesus looking at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he says, I'm not done yet. Because you are stubborn and I need to teach you more. And that's where Luke says, Jesus continues. Are you with me? And he continues and he says, looking at the religious leaders again in the eye, and he says this, there was a man who had two sons. Now, you know this was a, a Jewish family because they were very well off. He was a third two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, I believe this was a direct insult to the father. And the reason why I say it's a direct insult to the father is what this boy is saying this. He goes, he's approaching to the father and he says, hey, 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 dad, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. You know? 
I don't know what you're going to die because you're pretty healthy and you're pretty strong. You may even outlive me. So I don't know when you're going to die. So what I want you to do is I want my inheritance now because I don't want to wait. This was a direct insult. Now, if you, if you or I, particularly me, if my child comes up to me and says, I don't want to wait until you die, so give me the inheritance, give me the assets, give me the, what, you, what you possess, because it's already rightfully mine. You don't have to write about the will. You don't have to do the will. Just give it to me now. How would you respond when your child said that to you? I would say, how dare you? Right? I may say some words that I can't say in the church. Amen? You all know what I'm talking about, right? If your child comes up to you like that, disrespecting you in your house, the house that you pay for, the, the, the electricity that you're paying for, and the pants that he's wearing that you pay for, and the watch that she's wearing that you pay for, and said, I want to give me my inheritance now because I don't want to wait. But what did the father do? Now, again, the, the Jewish tradition or any parent has a right to deny the child's request. Well, that, it was not a request. It was a demand. The Jewish tradition, they had the father to right. But it was, if it was like, again, saying this way. And the father does something amazing. Notice in later part in verse 12. He says, so he divided the property between them. I don't think this father said, how dare you? I believe this father just said, all right. And he divided his property between them. Under the Jewish tradition, the first son or the older son will get two-thirds, and the younger son gets one-third. The first son is a sign of his father's strength. And we'll talk about the older brother next week. He's got some issues too now. And we'll talk about that next week, so make sure you come next week, all right? The father gave his younger son his inheritance, knowing that his son will use it unwisely. Reading this story, we will agree that the father's decision was what? Reckless. But the father knew this was the only way that this younger son was going to learn. So he gave it. Brothers and sisters, there are times when we go to our heavenly father, just like this younger boy, very disrespectful, dishonoring God. Not knowing how good we have it with our father. And complaining to him. And raising our fists to him. And say, God, why don't you do something? On the side note, there's a song called by Matthew West. And he describes in the lyrics, he's saying that people are tired of because all the things that are going around in the world, all the chaos, all the killings, and all the homeless, and all the, the people that are suffering, and the people are raising their fists and God, why don't you do something? God gently says, I did. I created you. You know? I created you to provide for the people that are hungry. I created you to provide people that are naked. 
I, provide, I created you to visit people in prison so that you can minister to them. I created you to feed the homeless. That's what God is saying. And how many of us, again, were raising up our fists and said, God, why don't you do something? And God would say, I did. I did. I gave you life. I gave you hands to work for. I gave you feet to go on so that you can look for a job. I gave you feet so that you can walk and not just sit around and be lazy and say, God, why don't you do something? God did not call us just to be sitting around. There is a sin called thing called omission. That when we don't do anything. We're just like this brother, younger son, not realizing how good we have with the God the Father, and we just complain to him and showing disrespect. We too minimize the present joy and the love that we have with the Father because we are blinded by our own self-centeredness and complain about what we don't have when we have everything in Christ and through Christ. Amen? Amen. That's why Paul says, I found the secret of contentment. Whether I was hungry, whether I was full, I found the secret of contentment. Because what he was talking about, his his secret and his contentment is in Christ. Because he said, Christ is all sufficient. And he will meet all my needs. And so if you and me were followers of Christ and disciples of Christ, and we have Jesus living in our hearts, we have everything. Going back to the younger son, in the sadness, the father saw his son leave, whereas the son felt what? Free. He said, free at last. And he thought he was brilliant. And he says, I convinced the old man to give me what was rightfully mine. And I didn't have to wait until he died. Notice in verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The younger son went on a a spending spree. Now, if I could contemporize this a little bit, he would go out and bought himself a Hugo Ball suit, bought him a Rolex, bought himself a Mercedes Benz, and he's driving around, and then gone to some fancy restaurants and ate some nice steak, ribeye, and New York strip, whatever he did, and he's... You know, he's on his Mercedes, kind of laid back, driving like this, with his music pumping, you know, boom, boom, boom. You know, looking at the ladies, and he's picking up the ladies and saying, listen, ladies, I got cash. And the ladies came in. That's what he did. He may not have a Mercedes Benz, but I'm sure he had a fancy horse or something and a Gucci saddleback, flashing his money around. That's what he did. That's what he meant. He squandered his wealth. He loved the fact that the people wanted to be around him, laughing at his dumb jokes. Everyone adored him because of what? The money that he was spending. You know what I'm talking about, right? He could buy everything, including friendships. Life was great for him. But all the spending and partying, at the end of the day, he still felt alone. Have you been there? You have a great time with your family and friends, and you had a great party, but when you come back home, how do you feel? Empty again. Lonely again. 
You went out on a shopping spree and you bought a lot of shoes or bags or you bought a nice, nice jewelry or clothes or whatever it be. You bought all that and you bring it home and you're sitting on your bed or you're sitting on your couch. What do you feel? You still feel empty inside. Some of you in the past did alcohol. Some of you in the past did drugs. But at the end of the day, you still felt lonely. That's why next day you drink again. Next day you do the drug again. Next day, you go out and look for another man. Next day, you go out and look for another woman. Because again, they, those things in the world cannot satisfy your inner, inner longing. Just like this boy. Amen? He had everything, this boy. Spending like if there was no tomorrow. Because he had so much money. For that reason, Jesus said this. What good is it if you gain the whole world? and yet forfeit your own soul. And that's what happened to this boy. He gained the whole world, so to speak. He bought it. But in the midst of that, he forfeited his own soul. And that's what Jesus is reminding us through this story. For the younger son said, yes, he had the whole world in his hands. Everything comes to an end, though. Eventually, nothing or anyone is not permanent. The money eventually ran out. Notice in verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a what? Severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Let me press the pause button here. And let's look at this word, what Jesus said, he began to be in need. The Greek word for to be in need is hus tel el o, means to be lack, and hence unable to meet the need at hand because total depleted. depleted. This young boy spent everything. He was totally depleted, and therefore he could not even buy a simple meal. Some of you may be thinking, that serves him right. He deserves that. Brothers and sisters, we all have a need. We all have a need. Something that is necessary and something that we desire. I remember the movie Top Gun. Have you seen that movie Top Gun growing up in the 80s with Tom Cruise? Have you seen that? One of the, one of the best movies. I'm looking forward to Top Gun too. Well, you heard me say this before. I like Tom Cruise as an actor. Again, you heard me say this before. I like Tom Cruise because he's, he and I are on the same height. <laughs> you know? And so, but in this particular scene, he just came down from flying, and he's looking at his co-pilot. I believe his name was Goose, right? And he looks at him and says, what does he say? He looks at him and he says, I have a need for speed. And he says, you know, did that high clap and low clap, and that was cool. I, I like speed. But you all know what we're talking about. We all have a need. For the younger son, he thought his need was food. But what he really needed, catch this, was to be back with the Father. You see, God created us for a relationship. 
And if we are looking in the wrong place, then we're in trouble. If we're looking at the lavish things like this young son did, lavishly living, alcohol, girls, drugs, and friends, and all those, and the money, all those things that he was looking at to try to fulfill his need, but yet those things eventually ran out, and yet he goes back to square one, and that he is in need again. In the end, he felt empty and was in need. Later on, he will come to a realization that was what, what he was missing in his life, relationship with the Father. Therefore, he longed for the relationship with his father, even as a slave. Sometimes we are just like the younger son, aren't we not? We fail to realize more than anything else, we need to be in the right relationship with our heavenly father. Amen? We're going the wrong direction. If we look anywhere else. We try and try, but the only way that we can meet our desperate need and longing is an intimate, loving relationship with our Heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can look somewhere else, but we will never be satisfied. And I'm sure all of you, many of you now, can testify that you looked at somewhere else and no, it did not happen. And you still had that need because we looked at the wrong place. The younger son tries to meet his need by finding a job. Notice in verse 15. So he went on and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country who sent him in his fields to feed pigs. The Greek word for hire is koleo, meaning to glue or united. So literally it means the son glued himself to a Gentile as his servant. It was the other way around. Usually the Jew hires the Gentile as a servant. Not the other way around. That's unheard of in the Jewish tradition. For a Jew, this is a total humiliation working for a Gentile because Jews don't associate with Gentiles. They don't even enter into a Gentile's home. I said, that is dirty. I don't want to pollute myself, so I don't enter into a Gentile house, nor do I associate with Gentiles. That's how the mindset of Jews or Jewish culture. Let alone Jews are their own master. Jews don't work for other people. They're their own master. But he became the lowest of all servants. His new master sent him where? To feed the pigs. Probably his new master loved it. Because usually it's the other way around, like I said. So this master, okay, hired him. You're my master. Now I'm going to give you the dirtiest job, and that is to feed the pigs. This master could have done, let him sweep the floor or did some other things, but he wanted to get back and said, you Jews mistreated us as Gentiles, so therefore I'm going to mistreat you, and I'm going to degrade you, and I'm going to humiliate you, and so I want you to go feed the pigs. 
his younger son was utterly broken. Notice in verse 16, they lo he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Where are his, where are his friends now? Where are his friends? Where are his friends that were laughing at his jokes? Where are the women that were just cuddling up to him and saying, you're the best? You're the man. Where are they? They were gone because the money was gone. No, not even one gave him even a crust to eat. He longed for freedom and he thought he had it, but now he ended up being a slave. See, that's what happens. We think that we want to be free from God. And we want to have our own life. We want to be independent. We want to be free. But it, in the end, in the reality, we become slave to our own greed and selfishness. And that's what happened to this boy. Therefore, he was thinking about his home. Notice in verses 17 and through 19, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he finally woke up. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will get up, I will set up, and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Now, why did he say he has sinned against heaven? Pastor Mark made a reference to it. Because he's a Jew. And he knows that Jew, the, again, one of the commandments is what? Honor mother and father. He dishonored his father. Therefore, he sinned against heaven. You see that? Do you know on the side, do you know that, uh, that that commandment is the only commandment that comes with a promise? What is that promise? UBC, you are awesome. You know the word. <laughs> you see, that is the only commandment that came with the promise. No other commandment. That means God values that. And the reason why God gave that commandment to honor your mom and father and mother was because the Jews, when they got married, what? They abandoned their mother. They abandoned their father. They left them. And that's why God the Father said, no, 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 that's not how it works. And that is why he gave that commandment. He said, no, you don't abandon your mom and dad, but rather you honor them and you lift them up. And so therefore here he said, I have sinned against heaven because what? He abandoned his father and then he disrespected his father and he says, I want to be my own person. You see that? That's why he said this. Verse 19, it says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher servants. He finally came to a realization, not because he was the lowest of the bottom. I want you to catch this. He came to this senses, and he came to this realization, not because he was utterly broken or he was that he was desperate and that he wants to be freed again. No, he came to his senses because he remembered the great love of God. Do you see that? Not because he was desperate. 
Because you remember how good he had it with the Father. And that's why he said, I will go back as a higher servant. Because even the higher servants gets treated well. Because he's an honorable man. And he's a loving father. And a loving master. He knew going back to be one of his servants is far better than what he is currently experiencing. But what happens next will surprise the son and the religious leaders who are listening. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law is going to be like, they're gonna, their mind is going to be blown away. Even the son, because what's going to happen to next? And you know the story too. You see, the father never forget or forgot about his son. Never. Not even once. Notice in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father, what? Saw him and was filled with what? Compassion for him. Now, let me stop here for a moment. Do you think you and I will have compassion for the boy that... <laughs> treated us this way? No. We won't even let, me, even let that boy into the, the field and say, who are you, boy? You said you wanted to be independent from me. You said you wanted to get away from the family business. Serves you right. Go ahead. Go back. Go back. I don't know you. I got my older son who is faithful and who is with me. He didn't do that. Why? Because he's describing who? Our Heavenly Father. He's describing our Heavenly Father. The Father must have been watching out on his porch every night or for every year. Making a fool of himself by his neighbors. I'm sure his neighbors said, man, you're a fool. Why are you waiting for your rebellious son? They probably criticize him for it too. But the father, watching and hoping to his son, he saw the boy coming down the road. The father never gave up. The thing is, to him, it had nothing to do with what the son deserved or what was fair. It was all about the son. And that's why, again, Brother Herman, as he sang that song, Amazing Grace. What does grace mean? Love that is shown to the undeserving. And that's why we can resonate with that song, because we know it's amazing grace, because we don't deserve his love, but yet he shows us his love, and that is called the grace, amazing grace. It's not about he deserves or what is fair. It's about the Father's love. Notice the latter part in verse 20. He, meaning the Father, ran to his son. He didn't wait for the son to come to him. He saw his son coming from a far distance. What does he do? As an old man, he ran. He didn't care. He's got arthritis on his knees. He didn't care if he had back problems from lifting. Back then, they didn't have a leaf or, <laughs> or Advil or Tylenol. 
Because as soon as he saw that boy, there was no more pain on his knees. There was no more pain on his back. And he ran for his son. Amen? I'm not going to tell you this. It was undignified. In the Middle Eastern culture, for man to run. Because men didn't run. Nor did they show any emotions. Especially a man that had social standing like him. He was a well-respected man. But he didn't care about his status. He didn't care what other people would say. All he cared about his boy coming back. Remember while Jesus is telling this story, there was crowds and, and, and religious leaders, and he's looking specifically at the religious leaders, specifically the teachers of the law and the Pharisees that was criticizing him about spending time with the Jews, uh, sinners. He was looking them in the eyes and telling them the story. He was, why was he telling them? Because Jesus was trying to communicate and to, to teach the religious of the law, religious leaders, as well as the crowd, that the Father is his reckless love of God. And what that means is super, extravagant, lavish love, love that overcame the Father so much that he didn't care about the consequences or his dignity. The Greek word for kissed him is ka, el, si, aleho. This is what it means. Check this out. The father kissed him fervently, repeatedly. Can you imagine that? That the father went on his knees and kissed the boy passionately, fervently, so happy and thrilled that his son is back. And he did it repeatedly over and over and over and over again. What was the religious leaders thinking? What do you think they were thinking when they heard Jesus teaching this? The father. Loved ones, in this parable, the prodigal son, we know very well that the father represents our heavenly father. And the younger son represents you and me. And the story is teaching us, that Jesus is teaching us, that God the Father celebrates every little thing that we do. That's what the story reveals to us. I want to take some of you to the memory lane, and I'll take myself to the memory lane. When Rachel was younger, we celebrated everything that she did. Her first walk, her first step, her first words. Now that she's graduating high school and planning to go into college this fall, we celebrate that. As parents, we celebrate even the littlest things. Having said that, that's what Jesus is teaching us, that the Father celebrates everything that you do. Nothing is too small for him. That's who he is. Amen? 
That's how he is with us. Nothing is too small for him. Everything matters to him regardless. That's what who he is. Even in our darkest moments and of sin and of self-centeredness, and God still loves us. He's patient with us. No matter what, he, 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 the moment he sees an inkling of repentance, meaning turning back, he reacts and he comes to us and he runs after us. That is called love. Then in verse 21, the son gives his well-rehearsed speech. He's ready. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your call, to be your son. The father stops him immediately. He ignores, his, he ignores him. He ignores his logic because it's flawed anyway. Notice in verse 22, but the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, a robe fitted for a king. Remember Joseph? He received the robe. From his father, right? And Joseph was all proud and showing off to his uh, brothers. But here, there's a different robe. But the robe that the father, that Jesus is describing through the story of this, through this story, is a robe that represents that you belong to the king. You belong to the kingdom. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. That's the robe that I put a place on you. You see? And then he gives him the ring, puts him on this finger, a symbol of of sonship. You are not a slave, but you are my son. A signet of authority. A sign of saying that I belong to the king. And I have the authority. And then he goes on and says, bring the sandals on his feet because the father's slaves are barefoot. Did you know that? But he said, no son of mine is going to be wearing bare, he's going to be barefoot, but he's going to wear shoes that represents that he is my son. You see? Slaves did not wear shoes. They walked barefoot. Let me take you to John, what Jesus says. I no longer call you slaves, what? But call you my friends. Because slave does not know what the master's, does not know the master. But friend knows the master. The father goes on in verse 23 and 24. Bring the fattened calves and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Do you see that? The father commanded a massive celebration. He said, we're not just going to sit around and do nothing. No, we're going to have a celebration because this son of mine is lost. Now we're going to celebrate. Remember the story about the, the, the shepherd who found the lost sheep. They celebrated, right? Remember the, the woman who lost her coin and she found it. She celebrated. But now Jesus kind of brings it all together and says, remember the lost son. You Pharisees and the teachers of the law caused the lost sinners. No, we, the father and I, we celebrate when the lost sinner comes home. Honor? What did the son do to deserve honor? It was the question that the religious leaders were asking and the rest of the crowds were asking. And it is the question we are asking every time God the Father runs after us. 
You see, the son didn't do anything to deserve it. It wasn't about him. Again, it was about the father's love. No one is beyond his love. We cannot do anything that will keep us from fatherly love and putting on the robe, the ring, and the sandals. Do you know that the Heavenly Father put on the robe to you? You have the robe of God on you now that represents that you belong to the King. You may not see the ring like the one that I'm wearing, but you have a spiritual ring on your finger that Jesus put on that said you have the authority in Jesus' name. You have the authority to drive out demons in Jesus' name. And then he says, you are now wearing the spiritual shoes that represents that you're not a servant, but you're my friend and you're mine. Forgiveness and honor are available to all of us as we put our trust in Jesus Christ. In closing, the real prodigal is not the son. Did you know that? The real prodigal of this story is not the son. The real prodigal is the father. Representing our heavenly father. God himself. You know why? Because prodigal means extremely generous or lavish. You see, God is our Father who is extremely generous, and He's lavishly pours out His love to us. So He's not the prodigal son, but it is really about the prodigal father. Amen? Amen. A father who runs after us and who kisses us over and over and over again. Let me ask you, how are you doing spiritually? Are you in a distant country right now from the Father? Have you been away from the Father? The Father is waiting for you to shower you with His love and lavishly pour out His love to you. It is reckless. It is reckless, and that's why I call it the recklessness of God. This is the good news of the gospel. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you reminded us who you are and who we are in you. We thank you for what you continue to do for us. We thank you for your unlimited amount of patience. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. That is amazing. We don't deserve any of that. But it's not really about us. It's all about you. Lavishly pouring out your love to us. So thank you. So God, I pray if any of us have been kind of drifted away from you, help us to turn back to you. And as we turn back to you, you are running after us. And you're saying, here's the robe, here's the ring, here's the shoes that represents you are the child of the kingdom of God. And you belong to me.
So, Father, thank you for teaching us through this simple story. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.